This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. I'm Andrew and I'm delighted that joining us today is Ilan Ishkeri, a wonderful award-winning composer. I'm sure you already know of Ilan's work. Things like A Perfect Planet, the BBC Natural History series with Sir David Attenborough. He's won BAFTAs for his narrative scores for PlayStation games. He's worked with Rafe Fiennes on things like The White Crow. He scored Oscar and BAFTA winning films like Stardust. He got the Ivan Novello Award for Young Victoria, as well as the BAFTA for Snowman and the Snow Dog. But Ilan joins me today for The Cosmic Shed to talk about his new show, which is coming, first of all, to the Albert Hall in London before going out on tour around Europe. Here's Ilan Ishgari. Space Station Earth is, uh, it's been a passion project for me, really, uh, and it, it's grown and grown. It, it all began because Tim Peake got in touch with me. Uh, he was a fan of my music. And now this is before he went up to the space station. So I'm going back uh, probably six years. And, uh, and, and he said, look, you know, I love your music uh, and I really want to use it on this five-minute film that I'm, that I'm going to make when I'm uh, on, on the space station. And uh, and I said, great. And he said, look, you know, the thing is, is that uh, we can't pay you because we spend all our money on, on space travel. And I've heard many excuses for having <laughs> to work for free in my life before, but that was... That was impressive. I couldn't say no to that. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, it was it, you know I got I got him to use this piece of music from a film layer cake uh, that that he wanted to use. We made that happen, and uh, but I but I said to him, look, you know, it's fine. Don't need any money. Just invite me to the rocket launch. And he said, oh, well, that's going to be very difficult because it's in Kazakhstan at that time. Where you know the, all the astronauts were going up in the Russian Soyuz rocket. And uh, and he said, but, you know, why don't you come and visit me where I'm training in Houston at, at NASA Johnson Space Center? And and uh, he didn't need to ask twice. I got straight on the plane and uh, and I just got the tour that, you know, you can't get unless an astronaut takes you around themselves. And it was really, you know, I had access to all, you know, the replica space station where all the astronauts train. I got to put on bits of Tim's spacesuit. I got to hold a moon rock I just I got to do it was the most inspirational most extraordinary trip and we went out for a lovely dinner with um uh, with Tim and and his wife Rebecca and 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 uh and it was just as as you know you've spoken to Tim he's a really inspiring uh, person to talk to and and I was really inspired and by the end of it I thought why are we making a five minute thing why don't we make a big giant thing and uh, and I'll tour it and uh, that idea went up the food chain at the European Space Agency. And, and I got an email from uh, a woman called Rosita Suenson. They all have very impressive job titles there. Her job title is Head of Human Spaceflight Communications. Oh, and, right? Don't you, just want, don't you just want to work there? Yeah. Um, and she said, look, this is a great idea, but why don't you just work with all of our astronauts instead of just Tim? And uh, and so that opened up the rest of Europe and and then the project just snowballed from there. And so it went from being this sort of mad sort of, you know, idea that that I had passion project to being this very large scale 
concert and European tour and and um and you know uh, next month well in May we'll be playing the Albert Hall so um it's really it's been an extraordinary journey you've you've done some wonderful work I, you know still Alice star stardust um perfect planet some I mean some really beautiful stuff how does um speaking to Tim Peake kind of compare to that at that moment in your life I mean you know what the 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 extraordinary thing is that is is my music has taken me to such unusual places the most unusual music that i've written has has connected with the most unlikely people and created the most unlikely projects uh and and so you, you know when you make a piece of music and you put it out there you you never know where that where that's going to go and i and i love that i love that the that aspect you know when i when i wrote in my mid you know 25 or 26 when i wrote uh, the score for layer cake who knew that i was going to inspire a test pilot called tim peak and that when he became an astronaut he was going to call me i mean it's just it's really bizarre and 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 in terms of you know like working with with other people you know it, it, it's so about what you're used to right you could sit me in a room with with the you know a the, the biggest rock star in the world or the most famous actor in the world and I wouldn't, wouldn't bat an eyelid but 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 a, a, a celebrity chef and I'm like I'm shaking like a leaf <laughs> because I really like I really I really enjoy food and and that kind of stuff so so you know so so I I, I went to a, a restaurant in Paris with, with my mum and 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 um and there's uh, it's called La Pege, and and there's a and there's a, a amazing chef there. His name just slips my mind. And he was cooking that night, and he came around all the tables and sat down and had a chat. And my mum was just chatting away to him. My mum's French, and he, his friend, and and I speak French as well. But my mum was just chatting away with him, and I I was just sat there. I, was, I couldn't even say anything. I was really nervous. So so you know, it's I guess it's just what you're used to in life, right? Yeah. And 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 I was absolutely completely starstruck because I remember when I when I was at when I was in Houston at Johnson at NASA uh it, it, it was amazing meeting Tim and he was very warm and friendly but then uh he introduced me to another astronaut and and he was a U.S. astronaut who had just recently come down from a mission and and I was I was the first time I was like wow I've just shook hands with a human being who's been in space and I, I mean and I was just you know that, that that's a that's a lucky handshake right and then and then you know those opportunities um you know came you know thick and fast after that at, at tim's launch event in london i i got to meet alexi leonov the very first human to do a spacewalk mm-hmm. and and his story is i mean that's another thing but it's an amazing story and uh, you know he died recently but what a what an amazing handshake to have had in your life right yeah. so so i'm very grateful I, my music has taken me to the most extraordinary places yeah so your music is going to take the audience to some extraordinary places in the albert hall right so tell us what we're going to experience when we're there well what, one of the things that fascinated me uh when i spoke to these different astronauts is that they all they all share an experience wherever they're from whatever culture whoever they are everybody talks about 
what some people call the overview effect. It's something about being off the planet uh, and looking down on it and the way that that affects you. And, and, and it's, it's medically recorded by psychologists. It's described as, as a cognitive shift in consciousness. It has a profound effect on a human being to leave the planet and look down on it. And, and I thought, I thought, wouldn't it be nice? There is so much, so many documentaries, so much information about traveling to the space station, about living on the space station, about working on the space station, every aspect you could ever imagine. Um, but nobody's ever tried to describe the emotional experience. And, and I think you could sum it up perhaps like this. And, and I'm paraphrasing something that a few different astronauts have said to me. Um, you, you do all this training, years of training, and you know every detail of the space station, like every single inch of it. And you know everything that you're going to feel and, and uh, every, everything is covered. But when you arrive, despite all that training, you're overwhelmed with this sensation of, of if I don't look after this vessel I'm traveling in and I don't look after my fellow travelers, we're not going to survive the journey. And then you get your chance to go to the cupola, which is the seven windowed module that looks down on the planet. All the astronauts love to spend their time there gazing down on the planet. And you get your chance to go in there and you look down on the planet and you realize that the same thing is true. If we don't look after this planet we're traveling on and we don't look after each other, we're not going to survive the journey. And, and that, for me, it's so profound. It really sums it up because the, the astronauts come back and, and you could see from, from the work they do, the Apollo astronauts, whoever, right? They, that some of them are more interested in world peace. Some of them are more interested in climate issues. You could, you could take away different things from having had this holistic vision of, of the planet. Um, uh, so, so there's an individual interpretation for sure. But what I want to do is give the audience the opportunity to, to travel up to the space station and then to just see what it's like to gaze through the, those windows and, and just think about what our planet is. And most of the show is uh, images that the astronauts has, has, have filmed. So, so, you know, we've been using this phrase uh, that the show is the opportunity to see through the eyes of an astronaut. And that is literally what it is and emotionally what it is. And, 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 the, and the other thing that I want people to walk away with is this idea that for, for all of history, humanity, for the most part, we have been behaved like passengers on our planet. And But like when you go to the space station, you can't afford to be a passenger. You have to be a crew member. You have to do your bit. So let's stop being passengers on, on, on our planet Earth and, and be crew members on space station Earth. That's the, that's the message. Tell me about the music. How, does it, how do you compose for something like this? The, the music is, the, is for me, that was the really fun bit. I knew that I wanted to use synthesizers because they're, you know, for me, certainly growing up, it was the sound of the future. When I heard, when I heard Kraftwerk and I heard Vangelis and I heard Jean-Michel Jarre, uh, and, and those were some of the first records I really loved, I, that was the sound of the future. 
and uh, and I bought my first synthesizer with my brother, uh, a Casio VZ1, and it was a very inspiring instrument for me to have at that time. And um, I've still got it actually in a box at the back there. <laughs> so so um, so. Uh, so it was obvious to me that I needed to do that. So I got together with a friend of mine who performs in the show, Chad Hobson, also a brilliant composer. Uh, and we went to the studio with my producer, Steve McLaughlin as well. And I hired out the studio and we brought all our synths, loads of them, plugged them all in. And I had this idea that we would just, we would do one hour, uh, one idea every hour. And, uh, and and that's what we did. Nothing specific. I had I'd written the 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 sort of the the book, the narrative of how the show was going to work and how the images and what the sort of emotional narrative of that was. But I just didn't pay any attention to that. I just said we're just going to churn out one idea an hour for two days, and so that's what we did. And then uh, I took all that stuff home and it was all analog synths, all all or FM synths. It was all all actual stuff uh nothing nothing digital and nothing in the computer and um and then i took all that stuff home and i started and at the same time you know we'd been i've filmed various rocket launches we'd been to 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 launch facilities and i've done a zero gravity flight done all these have been afforded all these amazing opportunities by isa who who've been so supportive um and now I was working with an editorial team, a team of editors to put put the to put the show together. Um, and so whilst they were working on that, I started putting the music together and working out which bits of music I wanted to go to go where. And at first it was, you know, we had hours of footage and it was just a mess, all this music everywhere. And then after watching it a few times, it, it started to become clear to me, this music goes here, that music goes with that. I need to shake this like this. And, and so it was a very... For me, I was editing and directing and writing the music at the same time. It was a very uh, uh, cohesive process of, of things coming together. And weirdly, because I'd never made a film before, and this isn't a film really because it's, it's three screens. It's, it's much more poetic than, than, than a straightforward film. But, but I was working with images and editors and I'd never directed in that way before. So that was much more challenging. And in a sense, that made me less worried about the music. And so it was more fun for me to just get on with the music because that was the job that I knew how to do. Mm-hmm. So you've got, so there's three screens and then there's well, how many musicians on stage? That, well, can I just go back to this three screen thing? Yes, there's three screens, but actually the effect is going to be, it's just one super wide screen it's 28 meters across it's enormous and and a lot of the time you're just looking at one ultra wide panoramic image sometimes you're looking at more than one image at the same time um but how to make that work was a real challenge you know because it could start if you forget that wrong you could start to get a headache from watching too many different things going on so we really really worked hard with with my editor uh, John Harris uh, and and he's my also like a, much more than a co-producer co-creator of, of some some of these elements and and you know he he's you know been nominated for an Oscar for his editing he's a total genius and we met on Stardust many many years on Layer Cake actually many many years ago and um 
and he's been an, an enormous help in making all of that work. So it's really quite, a, a, the visual aspect is extraordinary, but the visuals are there to complement the music. It's like it's like the most fancy music video ever made. Um, and the musicians are standing in front, literally in front of the screens and the images are designed for to make that work. A bit like, uh, you know, the beginning of Fantasia was a reference point for me, you know? So, uh, on stage, what you have is in uh, starting from the back, right up against the screens, is a choir, and then on the left-hand side, I, I really wanted to do this in a modern way, not just not traditional orchestra. It's a synth pop concert. It does have orchestral elements. So there's the choir at the back. There's strings on the left-hand side, like looking at the stage. Strings on the left-hand side, brass on the right-hand side. With the brass, there's a, there's uh, Stu Wilkinson on drums. And then there's me in the center on synths and guitar. And uh, to my left, Chad Hobson. And to my right, Marley Wren on bass synths. Aurora is one of the last pieces of music on the album and one of the last pieces on the show. Like the rest of the music, started with a synth idea. And then I brought in voices and, and strings, but I really just wanted, it, it needed to be awe-inspiring. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to see the Aurora. We went to Sweden to film a rocket launch on, a, on an ESA base in the very far north. It was very remote. And there was a burst of plasma from the sun. So we were all set for it. 48 hours later, there was going to be Aurora in the sky. But then a weather system moved in and it was so bad that they had to postpone the rocket launch. And we went out that night and it was in nearly minus 20. And we went out with our cameras, just praying for a gap to appear in the clouds. And, and we were there for hours, freezing, and we were just so discouraged. No gaps in the clouds. We were just about to go back to the, to, to the dorms and suddenly the clouds just disappeared and we were just given the most spectacular show. And the aurora just, it just feels so small, it's so enormous, it's truly awe-inspiring and that's what I wanted to do with the music. And, in, and there's a video so you can see what we filmed. But what we don't have in this video, and we've held back for the show, which is also just jaw-droppingly incredible, is uh, is the astronauts filming Aurora, the aurora from the space station, but they're above the aurora, so looking down, and it covers the Earth in this green and purple light, and it is it is really uh, it is something to behold. It really is amazing. And so Tim Peake speaks before. Tim Peake and I are going to speak before the show. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That sounds. That sounds good. And then when you go out in Europe, it's um, other astronauts. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the you know as you can imagine, Tim Peake is our, our our astronaut hero over here. But in France, there's there's a there's a French astronaut, and in Germany, there's yeah. In Germany, we're very lucky because we've got uh, Matthias Maurer, who's up on the space station right now. 
Oh. And in fact, well, I was just uh, in dialogue with him because there's a shot I really need him to get for me. Um, so it's so brilliant that that ESA has, uh, you know, the European Space Agency has afforded me the opportunity to even be able to ask for things like that. Can you imagine? It's just incredible. And so it's when he comes down from the space station, literally just only a few weeks later, we do do our tour in, in Germany. Oh. But it's you know what? Sending the first time I sent an email to the space station when Tim was up there, because um, I, I got on his you know friends and family list. I was just you know such a so humbled by that opportunity. And uh, and Tim and I share the same birthday, and uh, and I remember uh, I I decided uh, I'd just take myself out for a pub lunch at my local up the road from me. And uh, for, for my birthday, and I ordered lunch, and I ordered myself a beer, and uh, and I thought I'm just gonna email Tim. <laughs> I'm drinking my beer, and I'm emailing the International Space Station from my phone. And within minutes, Tim sent a reply saying, "Yeah, happy birthday to you too." I'm like, this is a crazy world we live in. I'm here drinking a pint, emailing out of space. Like, wow, Amazing. it's really incredible. You're being a film director. On the International Space Station, even before Tom Cruise gets up there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so uh, that's one of my questions was going to be, is there going to be new footage that we haven't seen? And clearly there is. Oh, uh, 100%. I, the ESA would be so supportive, given us access to the most extraordinary material, things that have never been released before, things that are just literally hot off the press. Um, you know, uh, 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 Matthias just did a spacewalk yesterday, which I, I was watching, and my God, there were some shots in there that I was like, I we've emailed today. I don't know how quickly they they could get the shots down from the space station, but if there's any hope that we can get them in there, I would love to do that. But when you've been composing for films and things, do you get how does that process differ to to this one? Because you're in the creative process of making this show, mm-hmm. but when you're composing for a film, is it different with each one? How does it work? Yeah, well, the, the, it's very different to doing this because. This project is is entirely my creation, and so that the, there is, you know, I could just be a sort of maniacal, egotistical genius behind it if I want to be right. I like, I, I, as it happens, I really value. I've got such incredible people working on it, you know, um, and and. And and so I really value their opinions, and you know, and I I like surrounding myself with no people who are going to tell me the truth, you know. So 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 there is a lot of collaboration. But when you're working on a film, well, you know, it, you really at the end of the day, it, it is a, an artistic collaboration, and I'm always looking for that collaboration. But you are fulfilling the vision of a film director. It's their vision. It's their project. And and you're one member of their team, and uh, and so it, it, it you know it's very different for me these days. You know when I when I work on films, I'm really looking for a good collaborator. I, I don't really like working on projects, and there are many people who who who, who do this other kind of work where they where you, you know somebody can point at something musically and say, "Can you just do that for me?" And that for me, that I'm not interested in doing that kind of work anymore. I really want to have a a, a, a good creative collaboration so that I can be um, you, you know do, involve my create creativity 
in a project that 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 connects with what I'm doing. I was I was rewatching Dune, the new one, last night. No, it feels like the soundtrack, and it really is a soundtrack of kind of the the effects, what we're hearing on the screen, and the music are, are, are together as one. As it, it feels like that to me. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I, yeah, I, I I did see it. I was very curious for for the spectacle of it, and I I'm I'm sorry, I'm being an outlier here. I was really one of the people that didn't really like it very much um you know for 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 many reasons but but you know in terms of the music i you know i i mean hans has always said this that that you know he sees you know he he works often at the intersection of sound design and music and and i think that that is a fascinating place mm. uh to, to to be creating from mm. um it's not what I'm interested in doing, to be honest. I'm much more interested in, 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 in you know, making uh, the harmonic music. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, but, but, but you're right. It was very hard at times to differentiate between the, 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 uh, the, the uh, sound design world and the musical world. They really, they really intersected, and it must have. He must have worked very hard to to achieve that when you're creating something for a film would they send you a a a rush of the film do you get to see something or is it more like i want to feel it i mean typically the way it works is 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 that film is temped with with music uh temped meaning they just put music on the film and and uh and and that music will come from other films or, or other albums of music that they like and then that gives you a, a, a place from which to discuss it now lots of people say they don't like temp music and there seems to be a, a sort of fashion for composers to, to sort of you know for the idea that temp music is the bane of our lives i don't feel that way i think temp music is very useful music is a very difficult thing to talk about and the reason music is difficult to talk about is because music is what we use when words fail us you know, if you imagine what we're doing in a scene with a film is, is you know, the, the, the reason that you need music is because the, the words that the actors are saying is not enough. If the words that the actors were saying was enough, you wouldn't need music, right? So music does the job that words can't do. So how is it that you're going to talk about music with words? It's a very difficult thing to do. It's much easier to just throw music up and say, that sort of works, that doesn't work, that would work if, you know? And that's what's great about, about putting guide music in or temp music, as we call it in the industry. For me, you put the music up and you go, yeah, you know, that has an interesting effect. You know, if that had the right theme, it was a bit slower, if it turned that corner, if it responded in that way, something in that sort of vein will do the job nicely. It's a very useful. It's a very useful tool. And sometimes, what I love doing is you throw up two or three different pieces of music. You say, "What was good about that one was this. What was good about that one was that." And then that way, you've got the parameters with which to have a conversation about what you really need. With June, it didn't really grab you, but in in different ways. What has grabbed you? What have you loved? What What have I loved recently? Uh, oh. Uh, what have I loved recently? You know what? I am. I. I have. A, I do a movie night with my daughter every Friday night, and um, uh, she's uh, six and a half. And uh, and 
we've been re-watching movies that I love. She's at an age now where we can, where, where we can, um, from, from the eighties. And so, uh, I showed her the never ending story, which she loves and sing that, sing that tune all the time. Um, but, but you've broken her with the, with the horse scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was, and she wants to be a vet. So <laughs> she was gutted about it. <laughs> yeah. but, but remember the horse comes back at the end cause they put, they put it back. They, so it was all good. <laughs> and, um, and then, and then we did, uh, the Goonies. Oh, yeah. Which she loved. I thought she might find it a bit scary, but oh my God, she loved that. Cause she's really into pirates as well. And then, and then we did Labyrinth, and I think Labyrinth wins the prize uh, for her. Anyway, for me, Bowie, especially now, older looking at it, I'm like, oh, a bit cringe. Not the best moment in his career. No, no, but it's all right because he had some. Yeah, he did have some other moments, so it's all right. <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, so it's been such a joy to 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 rewatch those movies and through and through the eyes of. Of, of you know your child is you know there's there's just something really special about doing that yeah do you do you do is it a bit kind of busman's holiday at times are you sort of thinking ah oh, I, w- I would have done that differently when you're watching a film you know what i i went through a stage of that um i think in my 30s and now i've grown out of it i've become very able to just switch off completely because otherwise it just it ruins everything it tends to kick in if i see something if i see something that i think is really bad like is you know is not doing its job properly I, I yeah it will kick in or sometimes if i'm seeing something that's really good i i'm sort of can't help but make a mental note of it but for the most part i could switch it off and also what i realize is that you know, I I really enjoy a pop, uh, you know, popcorn movie, um, and 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 I enjoy a TV series. Probably enjoy thing watching things that I wouldn't enjoy creating myself. Right. And so I, you know, I just I try not to judge. You know, it's really it's really really hard to work in the creative industries, and I applaud all anyone who's tried to do it. I want all my peers who are doing it, it's really easy to sit here and, and, and criticize the work, you know, and, 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 you know, and it's easy for them to criticize my work. And, and I just, I don't really see it that way. I just think we have different approaches with different styles and I might not like it or it might not be my thing or I might love it, whatever. I just, I just, I, you know, I just think I applaud anyone who's, you know, getting a job and managing to, to deliver something and get it on the screen. That's a huge achievement. 100% agree with that. But the other thing I was going to talk about, the zero G flight. Oh my God. I mean, what the, what an experience. And I just, uh, you know, I'm so grateful to, to Rosita and the, everyone at the European Space Agency for giving me these opportunities. Um, it, it is in one sense, it's everything you imagine. You're just, you're Superman, you're floating. It's like, it, 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 it is all of those incredible things. In another sense, it's kind of harder than you think it would be. You know, they, they pump you full of drugs, anti-disorientation, anti-sickness. And that, some people are fine with that stuff. I was a bit squiffy for about 45 minutes. Um, and, uh, you know, the doctors on the flight came and sort of gave me a bit of a once over. Um, but then I was fine. But, but you know, the, what's really weird is that 
in zero gravity, and you, you wouldn't think about this, what happens is that your people, the, the astronauts don't talk about this so much. Um, it's a sort of de-glamorizing it. What happens right now is that your heart is pumping really hard to, to, to get blood to your head. It has to do no work to get blood to your feet. So what happens in zero gravity is, and you can see this when the astronauts first get up there, they look quite puffy and you feel like you just have the worst cold because you're getting too much blood to your head and you, so a lot of them get really bad headaches and your feet go numb, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then the, what's extraordinary though is that the heart is a muscle and it adapts and some adapt quicker than others. And, uh, and, the se- and then the second time when the astronauts go up, they all adapt very quickly because it's used to it. It's learned, it's learned behavior. But anyway, but you do get that. You only have 20 seconds of zero G, but you, but, but you do get a bit of that. And it's a bit uncomfortable. And then it is also very disorientating and kind of a bit scary. And it takes a bit of getting used to. And then once you're used to it, it becomes, it becomes much more fun. And so, you know, there's a lot of, I'm, I'm even in the show, a bit of me to sort of training on the, on the, you know, I slipped a bit of it in and, and there's me doing my first one where they say, lie on your back and there's someone with you and they sort of help you up. And I'm sort of really a bit freaked out, <laughs> but then by, by, you do like 30 something of, of these 20 second stints by the end of it, I'm somersaulting and, and uh, having a ball of the time. So yeah, it does, it does take some getting used to, but you know, what's amazing is that afterwards, you, you know, gravity is a constant your whole life, but then you do this and then you're in double gravity, zero gravity, and, and you realize that gravity isn't a constant. You pick up like, you know, I have my sunglasses with me and it's like, oh, they're really heavy. Now they weigh nothing. And you realize that. And so you take that learned experience and you can apply it to 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 everything. I can imagine I'm talking to you on my laptop right now. If gravity switched off, I can imagine quite clearly what it would be like if my laptop started floating, how it would respond in gravity. So so it is it is in a sense quite mind altering. Mm, yeah. I do you know I've got a feeling that your space station Earth is going to be quite mind altering too. Um I'm coming to the Albert Hall show um oh, well, I just thank you oh, i just you know i'm bringing my daughter she's 10 we have movie nights too she's a violinist as well so it's kind of it's just going to be exciting for oh her. that's brilliant yeah. good yeah and... so she's good but i'm reading at the moment um eileen collins's book uh, Alan Collins being the first woman to command the space shuttle and yeah. her first mission was or that she was commander of was the first to dock with the Mir space station and that was kind of, yeah it's kind of the beginning of this amazing collaboration that has been the International Space Station mm. um, at the moment it's a little bit politically on earth horrendous right mm. I, yeah, you know, I I think what is amazing about the space station is, it, in a, in a way, it's like a it's like a really tiny version of planet Earth, you know, which is what I was saying before. You know, everything you, you know on the space station, it, it, there you have CO two scrubbers to get rid of the CO two, so you could so you could breathe more oxygen. On planet Earth, we have CO two scrubbers. They're called trees, <laughs> right? But seriously, right? We wouldn't survive without them. So, so, uh, so, and you can liken every aspect because the 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 space station is a habitat 
floating in space. It has to have the same basic functions as our planet. That's why uh, the show is called Space Station Earth, right? And because it is, it's just like a giant version of the International Space Station. And, and the other thing that's very like the space station, uh, that's, that, that's very like Earth on the space station, is that there are people from all nations uh, living there. And they're living, but what's different is that they're living there, even though one bit's built by the Russians, one bit's built by, the, the, by, by JAXA, the Japanese space agency, one, it's all different, ESA and, and uh, Canada and, and, and NASA, obviously, all these different elements. But the, 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 what, what's different is that they're all living there together, collaborating together all of the time. And, and you just think if we could emulate that on the planet, you know, so many astronauts go up there and say, you know, you look down and you see the weather systems are connected and the, and the oceans are connected and the land is connected. And therefore, everybody, all the humans are connected and the borders seem so pointless. It just seems so petty. Right. And, and, and so what, what's really inspiring about the space station is that is that throughout Whatever the relationships have been since the beginning, 20 years of the space station, whatever the relationships have been between the member states, they have always continued to collaborate harmoniously. They've always managed to rise above whatever the issue is and and continue to work together. And as of this moment, I think things are perhaps as strained as they have ever been. But nonetheless, we see an American astronaut coming home on a Russian space capsule. And we know that the Russians are going through Capcom and Houston to speak to their astronauts. Everybody is continuing to collaborate. And surely that is a beacon of hope. Thank you so much to Ilan Eshkeri for talking to me. And Space Station Earth comes to the Albert Hall in London in May this year and then goes off around Europe. I hope to see some of you there. Of course, I'll post links to where you can get your tickets on the Cosmic Shed website, thecosmicshed.com. And thank you very much for listening. The Cosmic Shed. Science fact. Science fiction. And everything in between. This podcast is brought to you by The Stimulus Network.